Would you uh, just stay standing as we read from Esther chapter number 4, verses 12 to 17. If you're looking it up, just you see the Psalms. That's the biggest uh, collection in the Scriptures. You see the Psalms, and then you go back to Job. That's another big book. Right before Job is Esther. But I'll read it to you. Esther chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not drink for three days, eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So one of the things that we see with Esther is a, is a woman who was put in a position that took, a, took much courage in order for her to be able to rescue, to be an instrument of rescue for her people, for God's people, she had to be courageous and follow through on some things. And I hope that as we look through this passage, we see that God is all through this book. Why do I say that? Because if you're to read through the book of Esther, you'll see a couple of things. One, um, God is never mentioned in this book. And you're wondering, well, why is that the case? Because God is, God is mentioned in every other book in the Old Testament. Why isn't it mentioned here? Because I think as we go through this book, and we're going to make an attempt to go through this entire story, is that you're going to see all through it how God was moving, and moving to such a degree that if any one thing that we're getting ready to talk about fell apart, the whole plan would fall apart. And I'll tell you why I know that, because I... I ended up doing this exercise, so um, because of the rain, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to go out and do stuff, and so I, I, it gave me an opportunity to stay in and read my Bible, like read my Bible and really get into what this is. And so this this verse came to my mind uh, about this. I believe God put in, put this there. That who knows whether or not you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Verse fourteen. So we're living in a time where there is a lot that is at stake as far as what God is calling his church to do. As far as the principles of scripture that are in the scriptures, the principles that are there, there's a lot at stake as to whether the culture is going to come and listen to what God is saying or is moving away. And I think we've pretty well seen that it's moving away. And so sometimes we can read a story like this and we think, wow, Esther, that's really good for you, that you, you hung in there and you were courageous to do the right thing. Well, here's the problem, though, is that we're not just reading the Bible just to learn a lot about some really neat and cool characters that are there and say, wow, on them. 
The reason that God preserves these stories and these accounts in Scripture is to remind us that the same God that did that there is the same God that's going to do this here. He's working in us and moving in us. Now you say, well, Esther and all the people in the Bible, well, they're, uh, they're, 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 they're supermen, they're superwomen. Well, we, we spent some time this morning in Sunday school talking about Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. Abraham, very insecure, led astray, messed, he, he gave his wife over to this harem not once but twice, right? And, and, and jeopardized her chastity on a number of, of levels. I mean, there were so many things, but, but God ended up working and moving through Abraham. Jacob, the scoundrel of all scoundrels until he meets Laban. And Laban is, shows Jacob a thing or two about what it means to be a scoundrel. And then you have Joseph who comes along, never denies God once, even through all of the issues that are going, were going on. And at the very end, he said, he's, he's basically talking about what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so, so we have these stories that are here. That God is, is moving and putting a plan together to be able to help us have courage to move forward and listen to what his word is saying. But also to move forward into doing what his word is saying. You may have heard this quote from Martin Luther. And he said, if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest expression... Excuse me, if I profess with the loudest voice or the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. So what God is telling us to do, he's telling us to, to look at what's going on in the world and to make sure that we are looking at what the scripture is saying and be ready not only to have an answer for it, but to be there for people who may be struggling with this to help them move forward and, and get on with what God has called them to do. So there was another thing that we want to make sure that we're seeing and remembering from Martin Luther King Jr. He reminded the church that we are the nation's conscience. We may not want that, but if we have the truth and we see the country that we love straying from that truth, then we have to make sure that from the truth of Scripture we are reminding people and reminding our leaders and reminding them, hey, this is what God has called us to do and called us to be, and we're not going to be ashamed of that. So God, God has a plan. So take a look again at this passage in uh, Esther chapter 4. So we're looking at this for such a time as this. Well, what, what is the time that is in there? Well, so can, if you go back to Esther chapter 1, you see at the beginning that they are in the days of a guy named Ahasuerus. And you may see this in your history books. It's actually Xerxes I. And so we, we see Ahasuerus, and he reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. And if you were to look at a map of that, yeah, India to Ethiopia, but also goes up into Turkey and, and, and bleeds over into the Aegean Sea, up into Greece. He, this was a mammoth amount. This was hundreds of thousands of miles of territory that he was there. So he was very, he was very popular. But what, what was the plan? Well, the plan in order to rescue God's people, that was what was going on. There was a plot that arose that all of the Jews in that land were to be annihilated and exterminated. 
And so how did Esther get into that position? Well, she got into that position because her predecessor decided that she did not want to be paraded in front of the boys like she had been before, and she had had enough. They, they were with the officials and the servants, and they were, they were eating and drinking and feasting, and he was showing off his riches, he was showing off his power, now he wanted to show off his wife, and she was with the other ladies uh, having a feast of their own, and you know, she said, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, this guy decided, well, I don't know what I'm going to do about this, and so they decided to get some advice, and the advisor said, you need to kick her out. And find a new one. Oh, and by the way, be sure you tell everybody else and all the other men that they're head of their homes as well. And when they want their wives, they're to, the wives are to come and stand front and center and that's it. And so there was this ripple effect that was going on. But that's what happened with Queen Vashti. Vashti got removed. And if you watched VeggieTales, if any of you remember, remember and you've watched VeggieTales, Vashti did not get kicked out because she refused to make the king a sandwich in the middle of the night. It was something a little more significant about that. But you got to know the room, right? You got you to understand the room. But this is God's providence. He's moving forward. And so the way for us to be able to have courage, and you're saying, this is Mother's Day, so you're just talking to the women? No, no. But I'm talking about Esther, who is a, a woman who is a paragon for all of us. We got to remember that God is in control and that he is, he is providential. One of the things about this book that we're going through, Knowing God, is we're coming across some words that we don't use a lot, like immutability and such, but providential. We see that a lot in the Declaration of Independence, that the deity is referred to as providence. Well, the, the, the definition of providence, John Piper calls it purposeful sovereignty. The providence of God and his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. God's providence carries his plans into action, guides all things toward its ultimate goal, and leads to the final consummation. So we're, 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 so you're sitting here in the middle and you're seeing everything going on and you're seeing some legislation that may be coming out from Denver and coming out from Washington. You may be seeing some things that the United Nations are talking about. Sure doesn't seem like God is in control. Right? I'll pause for you to be honest. Doesn't seem like God's in control. Because if God was in control, why would he let something like that happen? Well, I say that read your Bibles because God is showing all sorts of things in the scriptures where if, if you were to drop in and parachute in at any point and you were to parachute in and you were to see something that was going on, it would look like things were completely out of control. For instance, you get into chapter two and all of a sudden now um, King Ahasuerus is looking for a queen. So what does he do? He sends out an announcement to the, all 127 provinces. Remember, India, Ethiopia, up into Turkey, Greece, around the Caspian Sea, a lot of territory. All of the young virgins, please come and descend upon Susa, the capital. And there you will be part of a harem. Yes, a harem. And you will be brought into the presence of the king one by one by one to determine who will be sufficient to serve as queen over Persia. Doesn't that sound like fun? And of course, they had no recourse. Oh, okay, you know, so they, they, everybody gets rounded up and rounded up. And, and so it, they're, they're there. And so out of God's providence, he brings in a gentleman by the name of Mordecai. Now, Mordecai was brought over from the original exile 
from, from the, pe- the people of Israel were exiled from Israel into Babylon. God had warned them over and over. You keep acting like this, I'm going to take you out of your land. No, you won't. Yes, I will. No, you won't. See, we've been acting like this for hundreds and thousands of years. No, you won't. Yes, I will. And he did. Oh, you did. Oh, okay. Don't you love it when parents actually follow through on what they're going to say? It's awesome. That's what you're supposed to do. And so he brings them over. And so Mordecai comes over with that bunch. And he's in the capital of Susa, serving at the king's gate, letting people in and out. So God placed him there. And Mordecai was raising a little girl because her parents died. And that little girl's name was Hadassah, who is known in Persia as? Thank you. That's what the book says, right? So Esther. And so she's raised up. It says that she was, she was a beautiful young lady, and she was, as, as was the edict, as was the decree, she comes in. And by God's providence, she was able to find favor everywhere she went. And she ended up not only finding such favor with the king, that the king ended up, it says, the king, verse 17 of chapter 2, the king loved Esther more than all of the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. They throw a feast. Everything's great, right? What could go wrong? Well, they weren't really, uh, weren't really familiar with her background. She was Jewish. Uh, Mordecai was Jewish. And because Mordecai was Jewish, he had certain values. And one of those values is that uh, Mordecai did not bow to anybody but the king and to God. But the king made a rule that... Now that Haman, and it called, Haman is called the Agagite, and the Agagites were always enemies of Israel. All the way down, all the way back into the time of the wilderness, they were always enemies of Israel. They didn't like the Jews. Jews didn't like them. There was this contention that was going on. And so that's why Haman is always known in, in chapter 3. He's, he's always known as Haman the Agagite, but he's also known... As an, an, uh, with another term in Esther chapter 3, verse 10, that he's known as the enemy of the Jews. How'd you like that for a moniker? Well, that's who he was. And so when Mordecai, a Jew, said, w- w- refused to bow the knee to Mordecai, or to Mordecai the Jew refused to bow the knee to Haman, the enemy of the Jews, well, we got a problem. And the problem was going to be that Haman couldn't go out and get Mordecai on his own. What Haman had to do was, well, who's Mordecai's family? Well, he's the Jews. Well, let's just get rid of them all. And on they went. And King Ahasuerus, if you're going to be a leader, you've got to have some values. Because if you as a leader don't have values, you're going to have people approaching you that will have values. And they're going to seem really good. And you're going to all of a sudden find yourself going toward their values. So you need to have your own convictions about things. So when Haman comes along and he tells them the story about Mordecai not doing this, and I think we need to do in about a year, we need to set a date of the month of Adar, the 12th month, 13th day. We need to set a date, and we're gonna, on that date, we're going to annihilate all the Jews. It's going to be one year from now. King Ahasuerus, this is the MPV version, King Ahasuerus says, well, that sounds like a good idea. Okay. He puts the signet on the thing, he puts, and, and on they go. Well, here's the thing about what Mordecai did. Earlier on, Mordecai overheard, because he's at the king's gate, he hears two of the guards, two of the attendants to, um, to King Ahasuerus. He hears that they are planning a plot to murder him. Mordecai tells Esther. Esther tells um, Ahasuerus. And suddenly they are 
on the gallows. Now, there's two different ways this could be. When you're hearing the gallows in Esther, it could be that they were hanged, like we think about gallows hanging, or it could be that there is a stick with a point, and we're getting ready to have lunch. Should I hold off? Do you get the idea? Sometimes our imaginations are uh, worse than words that are spoken to them. But let me just say that they were going to be put to an end. So this is what was going on here. Um, so Mordecai is all of a sudden now, and, and, and they write it down, and Mordecai does something to save the king's life. But you know how things go on, and you kind of forget things and such. But he wrote it down. Well, when the plan came out, this is what's being told. To Esther, when we go back to our original passage, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the Jews. The decree was comprehensive. All the Jews, even if it was Queen Esther, all the Jews, all of them, every single one of them. And Mordecai is saying, you are now in a position to do something. Yeah, but I can't go into the king because if I don't go, if I go into the king without him bidding me to come, then what's going to happen? I'm going to get killed there. Well, Mordecai, and we all need Mordecais in our lives, whether there's uncles or aunts or moms or dads or friends or whoever, we need people in our lives that will just give us some perspective. And that's another providential piece of God, this purposeful sovereignty, is you see that God is putting all of these pieces into place, but he also puts people in our lives. And I, and I think it's, it, it's good for us if, if we did have a mom that's like that. And I was blessed enough to have a mom and have, still have a mom who, you know, we talk two or three days a week. Well, now that things are going on with, with um, you've been praying for my brother. And, you know, so now we're about talking every day because, you know, you have things going on in your family and you just want to make sure everybody's doing okay. And I sometimes feel the distance when you're, you know, you got a lot of stuff that's going on over here and all of a sudden you're basically over by the organ. You know, you want to get back sometimes and just see what's going on over here. And so you call and make sure that everything is, is going okay. But God puts people in your life to remind you and to give you that proper perspective. And I'll tell you this, I want to be that person. I don't want to be just a recipient of it. I want to be a doler outer of it, right? I want to be, make sure that I am coming alongside people. Because I have noticed, just as an aside here, that there are times, you know, I'm thinking about my boys getting ready to, to head off to college and, you know, things going on with my brother. And, you know, there's just a little shadow of just sad that, that kind of happens in our lives. But I've noticed something is that the mistake that I make is if I, if I wallow in it, right, if I, if I start thinking about it, then well, it doesn't get better, Right? It's like, hand me a shovel. Let's keep digging. But if, if, I, if I get out of that and I start calling people and encouraging them, I find I get out of it. I, I don't understand that. I, 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 it's a biblical principle, I believe. But I think sometimes we can wallow in our situations and perspective or wallow in how the culture's going, wallow in how things are going with our lives or, or church or whatever if it's not meeting an expectation. We get so wallow. That we, God, God will put people in your life, whether you like it or not. He's going to put people in your life to give you a little something. To give you a little, that, that encouragement. Whether there's, I'm, a, I'm praying for you. They may send you a card or they may call you up. You know, you ran across my mind. What, is something going on? See, we sometimes sit and wait for that to happen to us. But we need to be that instigator. 
And Mordecai was not going to sit there twiddling his thumbs saying, oh my goodness, there is this law that there's no way we're going to be able to get over. And he's going to twiddle his thumbs. No, he's, he's going after Esther and he's saying, this could be the very reason why God put you in this position. It is the reason. And so what does Esther say? Well, she says, I need you to get all the people together and I need you to pray and fast. That's good. Because even though we trust that God is working everything together, we still pray to him and we still ask him. He may say yes, praise God. He may say no, praise God. He may say wait, praise God. Those are the answers you're supposed to give. Yes. All right, God. No. Oh, come on, God. Wait. I don't want to wait. Right. We we throw a temper tantrum. No, God knows what's going on. Purposeful sovereignty. He's in control. He's putting the plan together. He's putting everything in place, and that gives us courage. Because if we're in the middle of that valley, whether personal or societal, and all of a sudden things are going on, but we know he's in charge, and he has shown over the years that he's in charge, then we can approach those positions, those new things that come up that we may may have never seen before, and be courageous. Take that step of obedience. Take that step of courage and watch him work. Because the moment we take that step, that's where he, he's going to meet us there. He's going to meet us exactly where we need to be. And she even didn't care. If I perish, I perish. But I'm going to go down fighting. I'm going to go down doing what I know to do. So this is, our, this is providential as well. Part of courage is, is that sometimes we're afraid to put ourselves in a position to tell people like that because of people's reaction to us. Now, they may not kill us, but have you ever heard anybody say, well, there's things that are worse than death? I don't know about that. You know, death's pretty final. But if you were to lose a friend over your faith, if you were to lose your job over your faith, if you were to lose influence over your faith, is that something that you could handle? Because those things, when God brings those hard things along, those are the identifiers of the idols. You see? Because if God comes along and says, I need you to move on from this and go to this, or I need you to give up this to take this, then our reaction will identify, well, I don't want to move over to this and go to that. Well, that could be your idol. You're choosing that over God. what God's telling you. You're choosing that over God. Well, I don't want to give this up. I want to... I want to, I want to hold on to that. No, I got something better for you over here. Yeah, but I know this. I know this. But if I'm, if he's telling you to go do that, then, and you say no, then you've identified another idol. It is a recognition that God is moving and working no matter what is happening in the world. But it's also a recognition that we need to step up and be obedient in the face of the world, in the face of the devil, in the face of the flesh. Because the devil's going to be on, a, on the attack. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The, the, the key piece, at least for me in this passage is, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There are some schemes of the devil you're going to be well aware of because the devil is a great student and he knows your buttons. He knows what gets you. He's really, he's he's smart. He's crafty. 
He knows he's mighty. Not almighty. We got to remember that, but he's mighty. And so we have to be sure that we are recognizing the schemes of the devil and being students of it by reading the word, but also reading our own hearts, reading what happens in the world that may affect us. I'll give you just an example. So every so often something happens with something may happen with you and you're going along, going along, going along. Somebody says something that may be innocuous and it inflames you. Not literally, you know, but I mean, inflames you. There's just something in your heart that's like, hmm, I didn't like that. And they may not have meant anything by it. So the question is, you got to start thinking, okay, why? Don't just turn up the radio louder. Don't just put in your earbuds in and just go do something and forget about it. Lean into it. What's going on? And so when you start understanding the schemes of the devil toward you and the schemes of the devil toward the world, because you, you will see a pattern. There is a pattern there that you're trying to get everybody away from the things of God. You will begin to approach things more courageously because it, you're knowing your enemy. That's what people in warfare do. They understand what, what the tactics of the enemy, and they're more courageous because now they understand what they're doing, and they can go after it even more. That's where it is for us. We are constantly in a warfare. We're constantly in that fight. And so what does Esther do? Well, quickly what Esther does is she prepares a banquet and invites um, Ahasuerus and Haman over. And Haman's feeling pretty good. I just got invited you know, you know how it is when you get invited to some fancy place with some influential person. You're feeling pretty good. Oh, I got a seat at the table. And he was feeling really good for about 15 seconds after he left until he saw Mordecai not bowing. I can't stand that guy. Why is he doing that? Doesn't he understand who I am? Oh, my word. He goes back home. And you know how it is when sometimes you have a bad day and you go back home and you just start to rant to your Maybe, maybe you're not, maybe I'm the only one that does that. I don't do that, right? No, but, but sometimes we do. I'm like, I can't believe what went on. I can't believe it goes. And you do that. And, and so Haman was just going home and he's like, I've done this and I've gotten this and look at where I'm at and this guy won't bow to me. And his wife gives him the great advice. You just really need to go build some gallows and go to talk to Ahasuerus and just kill that guy. Get rid of him. Any of you watch football? You ever heard the expression game of inches? Well, sometimes when it comes to life, it's a, it's a matter of seconds. Because if you look in chapter 6, well, it, it, on your own time, I'm not going to read it. But if you look in chapter 6 at one point, you're going to see that Mordecai, steaming, he's going to go to Ahasuerus, and he's going to like, I'm going to... I want to get this guy, and I'm, going to, and, and I'm number two. He listens to everything I've said so far. He'll listen to this again. Well, as Haman is making his way to the palace... King Ahasuerus, this is the middle of the night, King Ahasuerus can't sleep. And so what he does is he pulls out the records of the chronicles of all the things that went on, and he asks the scribe to come in, can you read this to me? That's some bedtime story, right? Wow. Let's just read the phone book. Let's just read our diaries. And Mordecai, Mordecai, he was the one, yeah, he did, he saved me. Did we ever do anything for him? Uh, no. Haman shows up. Seconds later, Haman shows up. And Haman's about ready to unload. Hey, Haman, before you start saying something, I got a question to ask you. Well, all right, what? Okay, so there, somebody did something really great for me, and I, I'm trying to figure out a way to honor him. Haman, arrogant, 
self-centered Haman, this is for me. And so what does he do? He's like, well, I think you should throw a parade. Put him on the back of your best horse and, and have somebody lead him through. And you just do this number and everybody will just cheer and it'll be great and all that. And uh, man, Ahasuerus loved that idea. Great idea. Fantastic idea. Uh, would you mind setting that up for Mordecai? That would be great. And so he does. And he's the one to lead him on the horse. He's the one. And our wives are very perceptive. Because it talks about this in uh, Esther chapter 6 verse 12. The Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house mourning with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all of his friends everything that had happened to him. And his wi- then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Esther brings him over again for another banquet. She finally says, Haman's the one that's doing this. King leaves. Haman falls on the couch to Esther. King comes back, thinks that uh, Haman's trying to make a move on his wife. And the gallows that were built for Mordecai, were used on Haman. Now the law was still in place. They, the, the Jews are still going to be annihilated. But now because of Esther and, and, and Mordecai. They were able to give a provision for all of their people. That when the time came. They could defend themselves. Because before they weren't allowed to defend themselves. Here we go. Okay. Now they could defend themselves. And defend themselves they did. They overcame the enemies. And now the festival. The pure. The dice. Where they were rolling and casting lots to determine what was next. Now, Purim, which is plural, Eim is plural in the Hebrew, the feast of, of that is a remembrance of how God was going to be with his people and how he delivered the Jews not only then, but would continue to deliver God's people all throughout. That's Esther. Mordecai takes Haman's place as second in command, and they rule. The, the point of all of this is if any one of those things had fallen apart, If Haman had shown up before the Chronicles were read, if Vashti hadn't decided, I'm not going to be your parade thing, I'm not going to prance around in front of them, if any one of those things had fallen apart, none of this would have worked. So it's almost like there's someone that's orchestrating all of this. And you would be right. This is, okay, so we go over Esther, not because it's a really cool story. We go over Esther like this because this is what God is doing now. We don't see it. We're looking at blades of grass. God's got the forest in mind. He is working something out. His son is coming back. And so he is working things to bring it up to that conclusion, to that fruition. And God is even working and moving now. Even in a culture that absolutely hates Christians, there are still people that are being moved to become Christians. How do you explain that? Well, I explain that because there is a recognition that there is a God in heaven who is sovereign over all. And he saw our brokenness and he came up with a plan. And there's little plans that came along to be able to bolster the big plan. And the big plan was this, is that just as God's people were delivered here, Jesus came as a kind of Esther for such a time as that to deliver us to where we would. Yeah, we, we, we may not have it all sweet here on earth, but one day we're going to be with him in heaven. Amen. One of you told me this morning, uh, 
you know, you're, you're looking forward to the rapture. And I think my response was, well, in God's time, but he can hurry up, right? So, but, it's, but it's his time. God is always in the position, and he always has a purpose of rescuing his people. And he may be working in you right now. You may be like, oh, I, I'm, I'm outside of him, but is there anything that can be done for me to get to be with him? Yes. You can confess and repent of your sins and know that Jesus Christ paid for those sins on the cross on your behalf. You can't do it. You don't have the capability of doing it, but there's one who did for you. And this might be the morning for you to be born again. That's what Mother's Day is, right? I mean, motherhood, birth, we're all beneficiaries of that. Well, God's working to make us be born again. And maybe this is the morning when you see that God's in control. And that's the God I want to serve. And God's in control that he sent his son to save me from my sin. That's the God I want to serve. And that one day I'll be with him in heaven and he'll be with me in the meantime. That's the God I want to serve. It's all because of Jesus. And we need you to trust in Jesus this morning. This is the morning. So on this Mother's Day, yeah. It wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't a typical Mother's Day sermon that you may be used to. But when we see a gospel courageous woman like Esther... May that give us courage to follow Jesus with all that we have. Help us, Lord, in, 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 this day, in this day that we have and this day ahead. However we are approaching this day, may you use us for your glory and for the good of those that are around us. Thank you, Father, that you are moving and working. And, Lord, there was an earthly solution that happened here. There may not be an earthly solution necessarily that happens here in our lives. But one, way we, one day we will be delivered. We will be rescued. And we'll be in your presence. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you've accomplished on our behalf. There may be some here this morning that need to give their lives over to Jesus. Let this be the morning. There may be some that need to repent of their sins and, and, and confess them before you. Let this be the morning. There may be some that Know that the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and they need to pray. Let this be the morning, Father. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. It's never a wrong time to do the right thing before God. Thank you, Father. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. We are getting ready to sing a hymn of commitment. Our eyes take us a lot of different places. Our eyes land on a lot of different things. But we need to make sure that we are turning our spiritual eyes as much as we possibly can upon the one who rescued us, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and sing this wonderful hymn and commit our lives to Jesus this morning. Turn your eyes upon